Hi everyone! Left to our own devices, the conference may be over, but you can still watch the recording at cybellum.com conference. Tune in to listen to FDA updates from FDA executives themselves, learn about AI in automotive from NVIDIA, the AI leader, and listen to product security leaders from Philips, Honeywell, CISA, and more. Go to cybellum.com conference and watch the recording for free. See you at the next event! You're listening to Left to Our Own Devices, the podcast dedicated to everything product security. So our guest today uh, has been in the industrial cybersecurity world way longer than most, so he's probably seen it all. Uh, his name is Joe Weiss. And he is a managing partner at Applied Control Solutions. Joe has 40 plus years of experience in the industrial instrumentation, controls, and automation space, and 20 plus years in cybersecurity of industrial control systems. He has authored multiple books and has a very clear and strong vision of what industrial cybersecurity should look like. We're very excited to have him with us today. Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for the opportunity to, quote unquote, get the message out. So maybe we can start at the beginning. You've been in this field for so long. Can you tell us a little bit how it all started? What got you into industrial cybersecurity to begin with? Well, I happen to be a nuclear engineer. And so when I came out of school, my first job was with General Electric's Nuclear Energy Division in San Jose, California, which is why I live where I am. And it just so happens that my first job was instrumentation and controls. And it was, again, this is for nuclear power plants. And so I was heavily, heavily involved in instrumentation and controls, equipment diagnostics, etc. So the, the concept, and again, dating myself, this is, you know, early 70s, there was no such thing as cyber or anything that we would know about, like as modern communications. And then I ended up going to the Electric Power Research Institute. And my first five years was running the nuclear instrumentation and diagnostics programs. Now again, late 80s, early 90s, cyber didn't exist. So everything I was doing was worrying about instrumentation and controls and equipment diagnostics for safety and reliability reasons. Ironically, my first international trip, in this case, was actually to France. I had started a project dealing with the uh, cracking of the main coolant pump shafts in nuclear power plants. And the reason we were involved in doing this is the vibration monitoring wasn't telling us what was actually going on. And so in a funny sense, my initial intro to the world of lands and lands was going to France that had something like 50 some odd nuclear plants. And I was going to their R&D facility, which happened to be outside Versailles, but they were bringing in all of the vibration data from all of their plants into this one particular R&D facility, which is kind of where things are now when you think about fleet asset management, da-da-da-da-da. 
Only I was never thinking about it that way. You know, my issue was why weren't the censors telling us what we wanted to know? I had another parallel project dealing with the process censors, which is why I've been so focused on all of that, because we had found a problem with the censors that didn't make any sense. These were in nuclear safety applications. And it turned out to be, what we found out later, a manufacturing flaw. You know, where everybody is talking about S-bombs and software supply chain. This was the original hardware supply chain. And this failure was so significant, it actually contributed to the Three Mile Island core melt. Wow. This is as big as you can get, and it was real. And it was all the way down at the sensor level, which is why I am so adamant on what we're doing today, because the issues that occurred there could be done today, and nobody would know it without the appropriate monitoring. So fast forward, after doing a nuclear instrumentation diagnostics for five years, I then moved and ran the fossil plant instrumentation control systems for many years. And by the way, I got involved with Israel Electric. And toward the end of that five years, this was like in the 98 timeframe, I had a lot of people coming to me concerned that IBM was crawling all through their plants and they couldn't spell the word pneumatic. That ended up being the start of the Y2K embedded systems program, of which I became the technical lead for the electric industry. Y2K was the unintentional, remember clock problem, but effectively the unintentional cyber issue. Well, it also turned out that for Y2K, there was a, a law passed that made all of the directors and all of the executives personally liable. So for the first time ever, all of the silos came down in the different organizations because the officers and directors weren't about to be fined or go to jail. So when Y2K ended on, you know, at 12.01 on 2000, we decided, hey, the first time ever we had all of these silos down, why not keep going and start looking at the intentional? We had no idea when we started the program at all, none, that there was a problem. And in fact, when I first started going to meetings, it was all about talking about, you know, X.509 certificates or intrusion detection or all of the rest of this stuff. And there wasn't a single power plant or substation anywhere that had any of that. And each time I would ask a question, I was told that was the first time anybody had ever asked because this is in 2000, 2001. There were no engineers there. Now, having said that, the EPRI program that I started was all about the instrumentation and controls. When we started, we wanted to know 
did cyber cause an incremental risk that we hadn't accounted for? That was the whole reason for looking. It had nothing to do with networks. It had nothing to do with anything else. It had to do with were our systems as safe and reliable as we thought they were? Because the simple fact is nobody had looked at cyber. It was an engineering issue. We had on 9-10, you know, without being flippant, the day before 9-11, we had a big cyber conference in Houston at the big ISA show. And we had electric, water, oil, gas, chemicals, power. We had Delco there from automotive. You said you were from automotive. We had a very large consumer packaged goods company, which isn't considered critical infrastructure. We actually had a dog food manufacturer there. Because on 9-10, cyber was a business issue. If the control systems don't work, you can't make anything. Well, fast forward, I don't have a date, I don't have a document. But post 9-11, cyber was made national security. And when that happened, cyber was yanked away from every engineering organization everywhere. And I mean everywhere. Okay. And so what happened was, and it was given to IT, the term OT didn't exist yet. Well, what happened was that meant all of the engineers were excluded. And to IT, cyber was the internet protocol networks and the IP native devices. So guess what? All of our engineering equipment, Sensors, actuators, drives, analyzers, powers, all of that. American expression fell off the turnip truck. Why? It wasn't an IP, native IP device, which is why to this day, there is no cybersecurity in anything we measure or control. So isn't it ironic that the only place there is cybersecurity is where you can't cause much of a problem. Where the converse is, isn't it ironic that here we are today in 2022, and the things that can cause you to go, quote-unquote, boom in the night, have absolutely no cybersecurity. That's incredible. And the people that or on the IT or quote-unquote OT side, are fighting this. OT, let me keep going further. OT was a term invented by Gartner. Why? Because Gartner didn't know what a control system was. So OT was the way to get them out of that problem by saying, if you're not IT, you're OT. Well, what OT really is, are the control system networks. OT is not the turbines. They're not the relays or the transformers or motors or anything else or the people responsible for those. So it's not the firmware. It's not the software running. Well, be careful what you say is firmware. 
Okay. okay. Yep. Firmware now has a little bit different definition. I liken it to the hardware, you know. In other words, yeah, within the hardware, there may be firmware, but you also have aspects of the hardware that are cyber-related that are being completely ignored. And for what it's worth also, I was one of a group of people that in 2002 formed what's called ISA 99. ISA stands for the International Society of Automation. ISA 99 is the Control System Cybersecurity Standards. And when we started it, it was almost, well, it was heavily oriented toward, quote unquote, large industrials. And maybe five, six years later, maybe 10, I lose track of time. But anyways, I was made, I am now and have been for a long time the managing director of ISA 99. And that is the 62443 series of standards. So the issue is when when all of that started, it was by the engineers. When you look at the composition today of ISA 99, the engineering composition is Nowhere near that. I would. I haven't looked at the actual membership or tried to dig through, but I would say a very, very significant component of the people who are in ISA 99 are quote unquote OT network people, not the engineers. Interesting. So on that note, you know, you've been very outspoken about the, the huge challenges that are facing industrial cybersecurity space today, and especially about you know the definitions of what OT is, IT, where the focus is placed. So what would you say are the top three challenges or problems that you see today that need to be fixed or addressed at least? Culture. Culture is number one. And the culture is, and I actually wrote an article for the National Society of Professional Engineers magazine. Uh, and the title was Attention Policymakers. Cybersecurity is more than an IT issue. And the reason was that, that I'm aware of. There is an ace, not even a single organization, and that includes the Solarium Commission 1 and 2. There isn't a single cybersecurity policymaking organization that has, as a member of it, the vice president of engineering or operations or anything else. It's headed by the CISO or the CIO, neither of which has any of this equipment under their responsibility. You cannot, I want to be as clear as I possibly can, it is impossible to secure any Physical infrastructure, if you don't have the people who know, understand, design, and operate it as part of that, and we don't, it's not possible. So until the culture changes, it is impossible, period. Why is it that nobody is looking at the sensors, the actuators, or anything else? 
because the people responsible for it aren't even there. And often, I won't say always, but certainly often, they're either discouraged or not even allowed to be in these meetings or, or in these groups. These are pretty damning statements. And by the way, this isn't with Hindus, this is also with government worldwide. So let me ask you this, Joe. There is this practice that is now evolving that's called product security. And some of the people on, on, on those teams are engineers, right? And they, are, they should be responsible for keeping the, the product secure from design through development through pro- post-production. So they should have an engineering point of view, but also a life cycle point of view. So I'm curious, what are your thoughts about that, about that practice and about that process of having security throughout the life cycle? Okay, number one, the concept of the security life cycle, I'm in violent agreement with, absolutely positively. You know, long before there was a thing called the security life cycle, you had, you know, the safety or reliability life cycle. I mean, there's, in a funny sense, nothing new about wanting to have security as part of the life cycle. You know, where I come into play is, and where I question the vendors. And let me tell you where part of this is coming from. One of the the ISA 62443 standards is 4-2. 4-2 is the component spec. It is arguably the only component cybersecurity spec I know of, in other words, for sensors, actuators, drives, controllers, etc. Normally, normally, Standards trail development of equipment, okay? They normally lag far behind. What has happened is for cybersecurity and like 4.2, it did exactly the opposite. And part of the reason was it was put together by people whose focus was really the network type of issues. So what happened was Everything that's in there is good and and wonderful if you have components that are capable of meeting it. In 2017, I formed a special working group within ISA 99. It was to look at 4.2 and ask, does that address legacy equipment? And we had representatives from Schneider, ABB, Siemens, GE, Honeywell, Emerson. I had a friend from Window on it, friend, colleague. It's a very impressive list. Well, it, it was, and here's my point. What came out of there in no uncertain terms is 4-2 did not address legacy devices, period. What they were trying to live with and what I'm telling you is going on to this day 4.2 had a statement, gee, if you can't meet these requirements, use compensating controls. There is nothing there to say what compensating controls are. Now, let me take you a step further, two steps further. We formed a special working group within ISA 84. ISA 84 is process safety. 8409 was process safety and cybersecurity. And one of the things we did is we took a 
state-of-the-art wired safety pressure transmitter. And our use case was an LNG facility. Blow one of those up, you blow, you take out half of downtown Boston. The pressure transmitter wired safety is for your safety systems. If that doesn't work, you have three major problems. So what we did was we deliberately looked at a quote-unquote average brand-new digital process safety transmitter so that it was representative of Emerson, Honeywell, you know, Yokogawa, Siemens, etc. So it wasn't, okay, there are 138 individual cybersecurity requirements in 4.2. We just went down the list to say, what can it meet? This brand new state-of-the-art safety pressure transmitter failed 69 of those criteria, including all of the basics. Now, oh. December 29th of 2021, an engineer from Abu Dhabi put an article out in LinkedIn. They were installing 3,000 brand new digital sensors into a petrochem. In order to commission them, you had to calibrate them. So they needed to go through the calibration cycle, and when they were finished, they needed to send the calibration data to that great big cloud in the sky. Well, they were using sensors from multiple vendors. All of them big, none of this, you know, off-brands or anything else. So what they did is they went to the vendor spec sheets to get the password so they could load the data into the cloud. Well, guess what? There were no passwords. Not that they were one, two, three. Not that they were default. They didn't exist. There are no passwords. There is no authentication. Everything that you think is necessary doesn't exist here. So when you start asking me about this wonderful product quality thing, unless you have the engineers who are actually designing the equipment who are part of this quote-unquote security product quality team, it doesn't work. Am I skeptical? Absolutely. Do I think it's a great idea? Yes. You know what I keep going back to? Our culture is broken. At what time are people going to acknowledge? It all goes back to when the engineers responsible for the equipment, when I told you it was yanked away from all of them, that includes the vendors. The people making the motors, the relays, the pumps, the sensors, in most cases, I'm trying to be careful to not say all, they are not part of any cybersecurity team. And there are no cybersecurity people that are involved with them on the design phase. None. So you've been you've been hinting at this now. And I guess um, it's a good lead into, so where do you see the responsibility lie for ensuring that critical infrastructure is vulnerability-free? Well, basically, the executives of 
whatever organization. One of the things that just happened last week, Moody's, you know, the credit rating agency, just put out, I was going to be putting a blog out on this, just put out their cyber heat map. And what they defined as very high risk was all electric, water, gas, high risk, oil, whatever, okay? Why? Because of the risk to the organization. You get at the sensors, actuators, and drives, those are existential threats, and they are being ignored, period. Everything starts with the packet. So the cybersecurity world starts as soon as it's an Ethernet packet. The cybersecurity world, and I mean every one of them, ignores what happens from when Mother Nature first starts something until it actually becomes a packet. And the other thing the cybersecurity world ignores through, for whatever reason, is control and safety occur in milliseconds to less than seconds. None of that has anything to do with HMIs or anything else that operate on the order of minutes. There is simply no understanding. I'm giving a presentation October 26th in Minneapolis. This is going to be my first in-person presentation in two and a half years because of the pandemic. And it's going to be about this whole concept of the square peg, which is networking, whether it's IT or OT, and the round hole, which is engineering. You cannot put a square peg in a round hole. I am really, really, really disappointed that companies who should know better, you think you had brought, you had brought up, I won't even mention the name of the company because I don't remember if that was part of the, on this tape or not, but every vendor of control system or plant equipment is an end user onto their manufacturer. They are affected by all of this, all the way down to the chips. The system is broken. It's not getting fixed. So do you, when you say the executives are responsible, do you mean the executives of the infrastructure uh, organization or the executives of the manufacturers who are creating the control systems or even going back to the executives of the board manufacturers, let's say one step to the left of that? Is it across the board or would you say that there's one entity that holds more responsibility than another? Just across the board, everyone has to be careful. It's across the board. I mean, you know, again, you think about it. To make chips, you have all of this, you know, all of these sensors, actuators, and drives, none of which have any security. Then the chips come out, what's in the chips? And then the equipment itself comes out without people having really addressed these issues. And then they become part of a power plant, a refinery, a pipeline, or whatever. You can't 
say it's one, it's all of them. And any of them that don't break the link. So they need to do continuous monitoring of vulnerabilities and risk and threats from the beginning? And, and here's the problem. Okay. IT or OT is focused on vulnerability. You know, go look. One of the problems is when CISA puts out a vulnerability disclosure, they tell you what can happen to the network. They have no way of telling you which particular pump or valve or relay or anything else is being affected, and if so, how. It has nothing whatsoever to do with the operation of a facility. Nothing. And if you look back at what happened with Ukraine in 2015, Ukraine ran their power grids for six to eight months with no IP networks. Why? They couldn't trust them. But you cannot run anything if you don't have sensors, actuators, or drives. Period. The tail, American expression, the tail is wagging the dog. Right. You know, usually I don't get into what we do, but you know, you had asked us before we started the show about uh, what we're doing with Cyber Digital Twins, for example. And, you know, using a library of digital twins, if CISA puts out a vulnerability warning, we can then go back and we can locate exactly where that uh, vulnerability is within the control system or within the device or, you know, vehicle component or whatever it is. So let me tell you the gap. Okay. okay. And we have an article that's going to be in the November issue of IEEE Computer Magazine. There was a project done at a manufacturer. This is in February. This is at a like a billion-dollar facility. This whole project came about because the manufacturer thought that the productivity of the facility wasn't as high as it should have been. But they looked at all of the data from the Windows-based HMI and it said everything seemed to be okay. So they decided, well, we better, we want to look a little bit closer and different. So they did this project where they used what was called a cybersecurity Tool. I don't believe that's what it is, but that's what it's called. And it was to look at the raw, unfiltered process sensor signals. So you're talking, in this case, the 4 to 20 milliamp current values. Well, you can't hack the current values. Okay? And then they were using machine learning and AI to try to understand what's going on. So in this particular line had 16 sensors, pressure, flow, temperature, motor amperage, vibration, and valve position. That is as common as it is possible to be for every industrial facility in the world. They, the Windows-based HMI said everything appeared fine. 
when they started looking at the raw, unfiltered sensor data with the machine learning, they found that more than half of the sensors were either inoperable or out of calibration. The pumps, which they were figuring had a problem, the Windows-based HMI said everything was fine. When they looked at the raw, unfiltered sensor data, what they found was the pumps were having real problems, but it was within seconds to less than a minute. The Windows-based HMI couldn't find it. What they found by looking at the raw, unfiltered sensor data with machine learning was they did a very, very detailed economic assessment of that facility by extrapolating that to the rest and found that this billion-dollar facility was taking like a, on the order of a 3% hit on overall productivity because they couldn't even see what was going on. Now, you think about that for cyber, but what I'm telling you is your digital twin, a digital twin is two things. It is an analytical model based on ideal conditions, and it is being compared to actual conditions. Our sensors drift. They are not 100% accurate over time, which is why no digital twin can ever be 100% accurate to physical conditions. And I listened to this, and this is the work I was doing long before I ever got into cyber. This is the work and, and others that are confirmatory. Sensors are the starting point of reliability, safety, cybersecurity, productivity, and maintenance. And if you can't trust what's going there, you have no cybersecurity, productivity, or safety. And oh, by the way, you look at what attackers have done with things like Stuxnet or Triton, what are they going after? Conversely, what are all the OT security people ignoring or doing the opposite? They all assume, and I mean all, assume the sensors are uncompromised, authenticated, and correct. Right. So I was just about to ask because you gave a lot of examples throughout this conversation, but since you've seen different industries from different you know, perspectives, I'm, I'm curious if there was one thing you saw through the years, maybe recently, that really, you know, you weren't prepared for or, or really shook you or, or was really uh, unbelievable to you, even having seen all of that progress and, and lack of progress maybe over the years. There was one, it was a case. And again, one of the things about this case, and I'm not going to mention names or anything, but one of the things about this case was it shook me. This, this actually came out of fossil power. But this same thing affected multiple other industries. And, and what happened was, and again, this came from LinkedIn. You kind of ask, where does this stuff come from? I happened to get 
or see this particular LinkedIn note. This was a multi-unit, large fossil-powered power plant overseas. Remember, I'm talking from the U.S., so overseas. And what had happened was they had repowered a switch, a network switch, that they hadn't used for a while. The repowering of that network switch resulted in every single one of their over 200 plant distributed control system processors essentially failing. We're talking about two large power plants with a complete loss of view, control, everything. Who would have ever figured something as innocuous as repowering a switch could take out the logic of every single control system processor? Wow. Wow. So thank you, Joe. Uh, It's not every day you meet someone who is so uh, honest in his views. Uh, So we thank you for that and for the time today. Left to Our Own Devices is brought to you by Cybellum. To learn more, visit cybellum.com.